0: Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by conservative commentator, analyst, writer, consultant. Boy, oh, you've got a lot of job hats that you wear there, Alicia Preston. Alicia Preston and former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. I want to start this episode by warning our listeners that we normally try to be a very family-friendly We have to be because we're broadcast on radio on WKXL in addition to being a podcast. Unfortunately, we have some news from around the world, some of which is very, very serious and sobering that we're going to start with, and some of which is lighthearted, but is also not particularly friendly. Let's start with the not particularly happy stuff. Alicia Preston, I really want to give you credit last week on this show we talked about what many media analysts and certainly most Republicans were calling President Joe Biden's gaffe. I'm air quoting that word there because you said it was anything but. When Joe Biden came out and said, we cannot allow Vladimir Putin to continue to be the president of Russia, given everything that's happened in Ukraine, most media analysts lost their ever loving minds. You stood up against the grain of your own party and said, no, no, no. He's being candid. He's saying what we all have on our minds. And now, as we record this, on a Monday afternoon, it's, it's Monday, April 4th, and we are just hot off the presses of President Biden saying, you know what? Vladimir Putin is a war criminal based on all of the reporting that's emerged over the weekend from Ukraine, the horrifying findings of civilians being executed and many other atrocities committed by Russian troops in Ukraine. Alicia, I want to turn to you first. Your reaction to President Biden's statement last week is now seeming particularly foresighted. And I I don't know if you had a particular follow on reaction, given that this is now very consistent to the new news emerging out of Ukraine.
1: Look, this is a big deal. The president of the United States calling the leader of another nation a war criminal. But he is. And kudos once again to Joe Biden for calling him out on it. And we all see it. You see the pictures of Bucha and other places where, you know, people are just slaughtered in the road for what? For living in a country that Putin seems to want. This is war crime tribunal type stuff. And good for Biden for doing it. My one opposition to Biden is the same as I had last week. Stop walking things back, man. You know, in in a follow up press conference, he's like, well, is it genocide? No, no, no. But he's a war criminal. No, it's genocide. Stop walking things back. I actually believe Joe Biden's got the right instinct here. I think he is on mark with what he thinks and says about these moments that Putin's got to go, that he's a war criminal, I think he needs to be confident in his experience and years, which in this situation benefits him and us, and stick to his guns. Don't let the talking heads who are giving him polling numbers or showing him what you know network cable talk show host X is saying about it. Stick to your guns, Joe. Call it like it is. That's as Reagan-esque as you can be, and stop worrying about the lackeys you got around you who are afraid.
0: Yeah, you know, I I agree with that. And and Paul, you, I also kudos to you. You were right on the same train with Alicia last week saying, no, 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 this is refreshing candor from our president. And he's just saying what we all have on our mind. And it seems like the events of the last week have shockingly, horribly just confirmed what we were saying on this show last week.
2: Um, it's terrible. You know what's terrible is what's happened in Ukraine. Um, I agree with Alicia completely that uh, Biden should stick to his guns. He's taking the moral high ground on this. Uh, he's calling it like it is. Um, the distinctions between whether he's a war criminal or genocide, which the a lot of the pundits are now trying to punditize, is 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 of no moment. Right now, what what's ha- what is important right now is that Biden lead the world in condemning what's happening in the strongest terms and take additional action uh, and lead the world in additional sanctions, however painful they may prove for uh, the citizens of the free world, uh, more needs to be done right away. And if you're dealing with a war criminal, um, you're not going to be rationalizing the You're not going to be rationalizing it. Uh, He is a war criminal, and the Russians and Putin are responsible for war crimes. It is a huge step for the president of the United States, the ostensible leader of the free world, to call the leader of another nation a war criminal. But uh, he was right when he did it last week. He's right to to continue uh, to call it out this week. Um, and uh, I'm glad to hear that the Europeans and apparently President Biden are talking about additional sanctions. This needs to be ratcheted up right now.
0: It's very difficult to create any transition from the topic of the war in Ukraine to virtually any other topic, given the deadly seriousness of what we are seeing in the images emerging from the war zone. That being said, I do want to focus on some of the other news from the weekend. In the case of the first item, there is a little bit of a surprising connection, even though it kind of comes in a humorous context, because the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, made headlines all weekend when he was giving a a humorous address at the gridiron dinner, in which he did this whole lead up in which he seemed to be praising former President Trump. And then after a pregnant pause, said, and Hmm. I'm quoting here, and I have to be very careful with, with the beeps for the FCC. He said, quote, he's, Donald Trump, he's bleeping crazy. I don't think he's so crazy that you could put him in a mental institution, but I think if he were in one, he ain't getting out. And the connection that I see here is Chris Sununu, in a humorous way, is coming out and saying what is clearly on everybody's minds, especially Republicans' minds, who have been meaning to vent this, and very few have had the opportunity to do so, with the exception of Alyssa Preston, who does this every week on the air, that Donald Trump is a crazy person. And the very idea of him returning to power is in itself, it's, it's shockingly crazy. It's incredibly crazy. So I don't want to just stop on that item because we could, of course, all give a golf clap to Chris and Nunu for being very, very funny. Oh, Paul, if you want to, if you want a golf clap, I was going to connect to yet a third item, but go ahead.
2: No, no, I we can't leave Chris Sinunu. No, we just, can't. We, we no, can't. no, I'm not leaving we, him. I'm not leaving. We we, we can't leave this. But I, there's a story that's reported that we that really that really is is sort of the quint, a quintessential New Hampshire story. So, you know, the New Hampshire primary is very important. Sununu told this story, and by the way, because. Um, Some of us on the show, like me, are lefty, liberal, progressive types. We're probably going to get a lot of roasty, toasty anger from the progressive left for saying anything uh, remotely kind about Chris Sununu. But be that as it may, the story he told was about the time Trump visited him in New Hampshire and invited him to ride inside the presidential limo, the beast, the airtight, bulletproof, bombproof beast, the then- president suddenly stopped talking and pointed out the window at people lining the road holding american flags and he said they love me only problem chris sununu pointed out was that the man he pointed to holding a sign read bleep trump so let's give sununu credit for humor let's give him a credit for uh, going to the edge of what makes republicans comfortable, uncomfortable. We note with uh, interest that Trump acolytes fired back. They were really moved and incensed by this kind of humor. And um, what seems to be uh, the chatter as a result of all of Chris Sununu's taking on Trump is that people see him positioning himself as the anti-Trump, For 2024, it has raised his national profile among GOP activists, and um, it's probably a big political win in the national sense for Alicia Preston, who will soon become the national spokesperson and strategist for Chris Sununu for President
0: 2024. I'm sure you want to confirm nor deny, but, but go ahead, weigh in, get yourself in trouble.
1: I'm not sure it's going to help my chances of getting said job that it's Paul Hodes recommending it. So let's just take that off the
0: table. (laughs) Look in the dictionary (laughs) under pill comma poison. Yeah, (laughs) Don't worry about this horse.
2: It's
1: <laughs> empty, but just, just enjoy it. It's hey, look, present. I'm
2: just trying to keep her on our show.
1: Uh, well, that's one way to keep me here. Um, so look, the comments were funny. You know, I get a kick out of some of the same people on my social media that were, you know, defending Chris Rock and the fact that it's just humor when he made his his joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. are now the exact same people that this joke Chris Nunu made about Donald Trump. Well, that's what went too far. So you can make fun of someone's alopecia. You can't make fun of Donald Trump for anything. I think the problem here is quite simply that neither Donald Trump nor his diehard supporters, I'm not talking all his supporters, I'm talking about like the sycophants, they have no sense of humor over Donald Trump, which is unfortunate because whether you like him or not like him, there's a lot to have fun with. Um, I think Chris Sununu was making a joke. I actually personally wish he hadn't used a profanity, but I will say this. Kristen has never asked for my political advice. If he wants my political advice, I would be happy to sign the contract any day, (laughs) but I would have actually advised him not to tell that joke, unfortunately. And here's why, because they don't have a sense of humor and it will be used against you. And even though it was a funny joke, it was delivered well from what I was told. I mean, I wasn't there and there's no video, but I just wish that. You know, we didn't have to be so sensitive, but it is it is a situation where you can't make fun of Trump. You can't make fun of anything to do with him or his supporters, even the stuff that's funny, which is unfortunate because I'm a big fan of laughing at and to everybody.
0: All right. So here's where I want to go from the humor of it to the deadly seriousness of it, because again, hearkening back to last week's show, we spent some time talking about all of the news that had emerged in uh, in this, what we, what do we call the segment this week this in insurrection. insurrection? And of course we are hot off a federal judge finding that it was more likely than not, the judge's words, not mine, that president Trump and John Eastman, his, um, you know, who, whose worm tongue to his, to his Saramon had been, you know, conspiring to have a coup, right? It was more likely than not that Donald Trump had committed crimes. So and there was a whole bunch of other news last week that I won't belabor, but the point is, Things are really bad when it comes to the insurrection. The new, The news is pretty damning when it comes to Donald Trump. And the additional report that emerged this weekend was that at some previous time, President Biden had confided in, in the people around him that he really wants Attorney General Merrick Garland to prosecute Donald Trump on the basis of the evidence that has come out. Now, Alicia, to, just to put you on the spot, once again, you were like, deep in your crystal ball last week because you were saying, despite all of this, we should not prosecute Donald Trump. Given all the new things we've heard in this week in insurrection over the last week, do you still feel that way? And and why do you feel in the face of the strength of the evidence that we have so far that we still, under no circumstances, should prosecute former President Trump?
1: I I maintain the same position and here's why I really am a believer in what is in the greater good of this country and nothing the country will not be benefited in any way, shape or form um, by the prosecution of Donald Trump. People say, well, it sets a precedent that you can't do this in the future. The president's been set. He's been impeached twice, Um, even if he wasn't removed from office. No president wants to be impeached. Certainly not the only one who's been impeached twice. I think you have to look at the greater good of the country. We're still divided. We've got some things bringing us together right now, our support of Ukraine. Uh, And I think it is just going to further divide which will damage Even greater, a country that is kind of on the cusp of some dangerous places right now. And I think, you know, prosecute the individuals are going forward. They've got hundreds and hundreds of of, of people they're prosecuting, going to trials, cutting deals with. I think that's important. I think the president of the United States of America in this situation, the former president, um, keep releasing stuff, keep letting it out there, let the country know, and it'll take care of itself.
0: Paul, you're the former prosecutor. If this ship, which is currently heading into harbor right now, Docs where it looks like it's going to with the amount of evidence that's building against former President Trump. Should you, if you were the Attorney General of the United States right now, based on what you've seen in public reporting, would you proceed with a prosecution of former President Trump? Is there anywhere that you would draw the line where you would say, this is definitely the place where I would do it? Or would you just basically not do it under any circumstance?
2: Um, The Attorney General is... Um, supposed to be independent of politics and needs to go where the crimes are committed and prosecute the prosecutable crimes that are committed, um, especially when federal crimes have been committed. There is perhaps, um, uh, well, I I won't say it's incomparable, but what Trump did stands pretty much alone in United States history. Um, We now have the new um, Rosemary Woods Memorial Memorial seven hour phone gap in his phone calls on the fateful day of January 6th. Um, So you've got that cover up now to add to all the things that we know he did and that will come out. I profoundly disagree with Alicia on on this, and not because of politics, not and not because of divided politics or partisan politics, uh, but because I have a profound disagreement with her on what's in the best interests of the country. Um, you've got a guy who was running a crim- criminal enterprise and culminated his criminal enterprise in, in the White House with trying to destroy our democracy. Um, he swept numerous people up into the plot Um, It was a huge conspiracy of which he uh, is at the top. And the evidence, even as we know it now, points significantly to a beyond a reasonable doubt standard that he's guilty of federal crimes to um, to allow politics to overcome uh, the, the the national the need for a national reckoning of the most serious kind with this kind of conduct uh, would be to, uh, it would be like appeasing Hitler. I mean, it's the Neville Chamberlain approach. Oh, we'll let bygones be bygones. It's in the past. He's promised to do better. We don't have to worry about it. I think that's naive thinking. I don't think it serves the national interest. These crimes were really serious. And he should be prosecuted, assuming the beyond the reasonable doubt standard can be met. Merrick Garland should do more. He should do it faster. um, And uh, we should get this case to trial.
0: I have to say that I have one of those strong opinions, loosely held type situations going on for me personally, where I come down on one side of this, but I reserve the right to change my mind in the future as more information comes out. As of right now, I come down more on Alicia's side on this than I do on Paul's. You both present really compelling arguments. I have two reasons. One is that the remedy for misbehavior and even criminal misbehavior from a president under the U.S. Constitution is impeachment and disbarment from further holding of federal office. We've tried that route twice. Due to our current partisan politics, we've been unable to close the deal. But that is the remedy that the founders foresaw because I think they had the, the the foresight to see that politics was inevitably going to enter into this and that's where I get to my second reason we talked last week about the decision for the in New York to not pursue the prosecution of Donald Trump over his, tax crimes and the the fact that there was a resignation from deputy AGs and, and they'd written a strongly worded letter saying that they really think that the evidence is there. We talked about, and Paul, you explained to our listeners the idea of prosecutorial discretion, that you really have to think about the larger context when it comes to even application of the law, even a situation where you could apply the law and you could get a conviction. And in this case, I think that there is some prosecutorial discretion that yes, politics enters into this because right now the keys to the car are held by people who I think everyone on this panel and most reasonably moderate Americans basically trust. I don't think people think that Joe Biden is a subverter of the constitution and a loose cannon with our laws, the way that Donald Trump was. I don't think people see Merrick Garland that way. There there are reasonably sane and responsible people Holding control of the levers of power in our government. But I still think that there is a very real chance that Donald Trump will be president again in 2025 and that he will appoint some insane human being to lead the Department of Justice. When the keys to the car are turned over to those hands, if we've set the president a precedent of going after former members of the administration, including the president. Be they for crimes real or imagined, we could be setting off a wave of political retribution that would be toxic to the country and could take us all down. That's where I come down for now. And I'm not giving anyone else a word on it because we have to take a break. At the top of the show, I warned our listeners that not everything in this broadcast or on this podcast was going to be safe for work. And that's because. I had in mind the following story. You know where I'm going with this. Paul Hodes, you're a former member of Congress. How many orgies were you invited to during your time in office?
2: None, sadly, sadly none. I mean- Well, then I
0: guess you- are less popular than Madison Cawthorn. I, who, I
2: was, I was never that popular. I mean, Madison, you were president of the freshman class, man. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I was popular. They, they didn't, couldn't find anybody else who wanted the job. But you know, I mean, Madison Cawthorn, he's got those square jawed, blue eyed, good looks. I mean, he's he's such a he's such a you know well spoken, well spoken, intelligent, to all
0: the best orgies, is what intelligent
2: you're guy. He knows, and so of course he's invited to all the best cocaine fused. Republican orgies uh, that there are. I mean, he's he is the arbiter of social taste. He's like he's the Lord Bridgerton of Washington, D.C., invited to all the best affairs.
0: So, oh, boy, that was a great you just ended on such a good pun. I cannot top that. But I will ask. I'm going to turn this into an actual question. So apparently, The Republican Party does not have a huge problem with Marjorie Taylor Greene's insanity and attending of far-right rallies, including white supremacists. It's okay for Paul Gosar, the other Looney Tunes Republican congressman, I mean, I have to be more specific there, who also likes to attend white supremacist rallies. Apparently, that's a-okay. Lauren Boebert can call her fellow members of Congress terrorists just because they happen to be Muslim, and that is spot on fine. But as soon as Madison Cawthorn gets a little handsy with the truth and comes up with a I've been to cocaine-fueled orgy story, that's when Republicans lose their minds and think that he's gone finally too far. Alicia, you used to be proud of being a Republican. I assume you are still most of the time. Why is this the line that Republicans are drawing? Why is this a bridge too far and not the rest of it?
1: Well, I'll answer that in a moment, but first I'm actually going to defend Congressman Cawthorn here. You ready? Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Wait, folks, turn okay, up you your ready? radio dials. Here and we go. Shew the kids out of the room if you're listening on pod. Go. And if
1: if my chances to work for Snunu didn't get killed with Paul Hode's promotion, this will do it. Uh who says it's it there is a scenario where Cawthorn's telling the truth. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that Congressman gets invited Cawthorn to a cocaine-fueled orgy.
2: Wait, wait, wait. wait. Come on. Alicia, Alicia, I never, I I don't dispute the (laughs) truth of it. I think it is true. I think it's absolutely true. I don't think he's making it up.
1: Well, he claimed think, that you know he came out and said he did make it up. Then he backtracked, and no, I just no, want no, to point no, no. out it is very now. It's only Gates is the only one I would say did it, but it is not beyond the realm of possibility that Matt uh, Gates invited this man to a coke fueled orgy. Come that on, it's Washington
2: D.C. It's Washington D.C. <laughs> when 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 the kids are away from home and nobody's watching, there are no chaperones. All, all kinds of hijinks go on. I, I must, I'm 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 sure the Republicans are big fans of cocaine fueled. Uh, Orgies. In fact, I think that's the platform for for twenty twenty two. Vote for us. We have uh, more fun.
0: We have oh, better obviously. cocaine. I'm I'm going to be a killjoy here. I'm going to be a killjoy here. I, I just you can't prove a negative. You can't prove a negative. <laughs> Can I prove that Madison Cawthorn was not invited to a cocaine? I can't prove it. But I just want to clear up for all of our listeners the average age. Of a member of the of the Senate <laughs> is like four thousand. Of a member of the House is something like sixty five. And he said that these were elderly members of. Oh, his so it wasn't that inviting gets. him. Oh. So, so I, I just wanted to let, the average member of Congress that Madison Cawthorn is talking about here is a seventy year old dude who probably does not have an apartment because you can't afford to have a home in your district. And an apartment in washington dc a surprising number of members of congress i'm not making this up folks sleep in their offices on their couch
1: i, I don't like the imagery you're bringing about to us so let's let's just let Wait, this sit there
2: you mean the cocaine-fueled orgies in the office in the 70-year-old men
0: this Capital is like four ragnarok hours, like no like... one sit down on the couch all right oh, alicia God. you're gonna make a serious point here okay why My, you and you invoke the name of Matt gates i mean like so all of this stuff is like, yeah, it's fine. Copacetic, <laughs> but no, no, we can't have Madison Cawthorne making this stuff up.
1: Uh, you know, I personally think Marjorie Taylor Greene, Doberg, the others who have made these ridiculous comments, incendiary, nonsensical comments, they should be held to account as well. But what Cawthorne did is he criticized his own people. And that's where they drew the line. Um, you know, you can criticize the other side. So many of these extremists—it is not the majority of Republicans in Congress or in the streets—but so many of these extremists feel the other side, the Democrat, is the enemy, and therefore you can say and do what you want to them. I don't subscribe to that theory, but m- there are too many who do. But this time, Coughlin was after his own people, and that's where they drew the line. And I think I it's just agree that with you
0: that he but- clearly broke Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, thou mm-hmm. shalt not speak ill of a fellow Republican. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess, bad, but good gravy here. People. Does
1: Madison understand that he is no longer going to be invited to said cocaine-fueled orgies? Did he think this one through? Because I feel like... It's not beyond the realm that that might intrigue him. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> I guess the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about, right. see, now I'm picturing oh. like an eyes wide shut type deal where Kevin McCarthy, all right. Now we really are- such concerned. a bad
1: movie, by the way. Oh, that was a terrible I'm movie. I'm such a
0: Kubrick fan, you know, it's- like I'm that, just that not. A little too heady for me. All right, look, on this show before, I've invoked the phrase, we're going to move from the sublime to the ridiculous, but we have not been living in the world of the sublime up till now. And we have to somehow go to the even more ridiculous. I I don't know how to characterize this next story. Politico did it by saying she's back. It is true. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin announced on Friday that she is going to run for the state's lone U.S. House seat. She's joining a crowded field of nearly 40 candidates to fill the House seat left vacant by recently deceased Representative Don Young. Sarah Palin is running for the U.S. House of Representatives. Paul, your reaction?
2: It makes me so proud as a former member of Congress to think that I would be joined by Sarah Palin as one of those fortunate few who've had the honor to serve our country. Sarah Palin, how's that touchy-feely thing doing for you? Uh, Obviously, pretty well, um, because, by the way, I think she ought to run on her foreign policy chops, which, as folks may remember, were um, uh, I I know all about foreign policy because I can see Canada from the top of Alaska. So, I mean, this this is a candidate of incredible skill. This is a candidate who represents the Republican Party ideal that Alicia um, uh, is also a a part of, um, and I know Alicia is proud to consider that Sarah Palin, the the greatest candidate for vice president in the history of the Republican Party, will now be running in a 50-person field uh, to replace Don Young. So if you want to talk about moving from the sublime, Don Young, the sublime 80-plus-year-old legendary representative of Alaska, the guy who wore moose antlers better than any other member in the House. What did he wear place- it to?
0: I hope you're not going uh, to the last story on that.
2: Oh, well, well in, it, it, listen, I, I would be the last person to suggest that folks like Don Young in the Republican Party, somewhat senior, uh, long-term Republican uh, legislators were participating in cocaine-fueled orgies. I would never even consider suggesting that, as Matthew Cutharn did. But I I mean, now you have the prospect of Sarah Palin entering Congress uh, under the umbrella of the cocaine-fueled orgy party. Uh, Need I say more?
0: Well, Alicia, I feel bad now. I do, because we've been dunking on every member of Congress from the Republican Party all show long here. Look, if any parallel stories... That approach this level of insanity appear on the Democrats' side in the next few minutes. You have you have open season. We will we will go there, but in the meantime, we're sort of stuck with what we've got. Sarah Palin, your thoughts?
1: Look, I haven't paid attention to Sarah Palin in many many years, so there could be lots of stuff that has transpired that I just didn't follow. When she was first announced to be John McCain's running mate. I know who the heck she is. I looked into her. I liked her. I went and saw her a couple of times. I thought she was quirky and cute and fun and different. And I had no problem with her. I can't say I've got a big problem with her right now. Again, haven't followed her in a lot of years. I still have her autographed sign that I got at one of her rallies. Um, look, She's quirky. She's clearly more in the Trump camp than I am. But I am not someone who would be in a position to vote for Sarah Palin. But I know Democrats love to make fun of her. I just, uh, unless I'm missing something, I don't see her as that wacko.
0: Well, I don't know Ooh, there don't. Um, Alicia. Hmm. She endorsed Donald Trump, so that's kind of that's,
1: so are that's a lot that's of people
0: of strike one. Yeah, but a lot of those people had the grace to walk that back later, kind of tail between their legs. Um remember, she's the one who kind of took your party from the Party of Lincoln to the Party of Winkin. Um, she was so, sort of the originator of the drill, baby drill. Um, and then there, you know, there was a whole book about the fact that she really didn't know anything about like anything that a normal adult human might know. And so they had to sort of like, let own,
2: alone, let alone a normal adult human running for the vice presidency of the United
1: States of America. I, I, but look, I, I I can say you guys have Kamala Harris, so I really don't think you should be calling any shots on this one.
0: That is not a good
2: comparison. I'm sorry. There's no equivalency. Sorry. Kamala Kamala Harris, actually
0: general of the of the state of California. She's the former U.S. Senator. She has an actual distinguished legal career. Sarah Palin's greatest accomplishment was being a short term mayor of Wasilla, Alaska. And then basically falling into the governorship which she left after two years because she thought she could do better on fox news who kicked her to the curb i mean isn't it possible that this is all kind of like the same thing that led to donald trump running for president it's kind of a publicity stunt meant to reinvigorate her brand for fox news purposes that maybe is going to go too far and she's going to end up actually in office
1: I think Sarah Palin is a far more serious person than when it comes to being a politician than Donald Trump. I, I think Donald Trump did it as a publicity situation and ended up in the office, which I don't even think he was going to happen to be honest i think sarah palin probably actually does want to run for congress to be a congresswoman um I, i think a lot of people make gaffes we talked about joe biden making one before what people are calling a gaffe although i disagree and you can use them against them you can run them on reels you can say look this person's stupid i mean my party says joe biden's stupid every single day i don't agree with that but they say it all the time um i don't think it's a fair attack i think she's an accomplished woman i do think she's a smart woman and i think she can be very likable uh you know I actually thought the quip she made about the sea, Russia across the sea or whatever the heck that was years ago was cute. I thought it was funny, but there's no place in today's world to say anything light like without it being used against you. Allah la Chris Sununu.
0: I would agree with you if she was trying to joke. I don't think she was, but I can't prove that one either. It's very hard to prove negatives. That being said, let's get to a slightly different political case where I think it's a little bit more provable. It was announced on Friday, which is the graveyard into which you announce all news that you don't want to appear on the front pages of the newspapers, that President Biden is going to do something that's uh, a little under the radar here. He wants to revoke Title 42 of the immigration law. This is what Donald Trump invoked when he was president to basically shut the border to all but a few migrants trying to cross on the grounds of, hey, there's a pandemic going on. Moderate Democrats are kind of losing their minds on this. And it emerged this afternoon that already there's a lawsuit from three attorneys general from red states who are looking to block this, including uh, the state of Arizona. And it just leads to this question to me. And Paul, I'll start with you. Regardless of the merits of this decision, although I, I, I guess you can't really hold the merits aside, but does this amount to a political death wish, given where we know polling on this issue is?
2: Um, well, so uh, the New York Post said, Biden opens the title 42 gates, prepare for madness, so that's the spin from the uh, the right wing of our country. Prepare for madness. Um, uh, it's probably not the uh, smartest political move Biden could make. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, given that the Republicans like to pounce up and down and do the trampoline on immigration, um, uh, people feel that. Um, the influx of migrants will get worse if the administration ends the Title, II, the Title 42 policy um, and that we're not prepared to deal with the influx. Uh, if, in fact, he's, he, he ends the Title 42 policy and we see a huge influx of um, immigrants, um, legal and or mostly illegal, it won't be good politics for the
0: president. Well, Alicia, I've put you in the position before of trying to give political advice to the president. I I feel like I know what's coming from you here, but go ahead. I mean, is Joe Biden stepping on a rake here?
1: This is such a complicated issue because it's immigration policy and it is one of many policies that are so serious and significant to individual lives, both here in America and those coming over, that I would like to think the political play isn't what leads policy here, but it always is. And from that standpoint, it is a really stupid move politically. Um, the, the Republican fodder is going to be huge, significant, easy. I can write the ads for any single congressional district in the entire country, along with governorship, that, that you know. The floodgates are going to open and we're going to have increased numbers. And it doesn't matter why. People aren't going to go, oh, this was a CDC policy because of the pandemic. They're not going to see that. What they're going to see is a massive rise of numbers of people coming over the border. And that is all that's needed. So from a political standpoint, strictly, it is a very stupid move. I mean, wait six months. Like it's gone on for a few years here. Wait six months. Um, That being said, it was a policy by the CDC put in to curb an influx of potentially infected people coming over the border during a pandemic. Uh, it made sense then. Does it make sense now? I personally think it does. There are numbers, you know, particularly in third world countries where these folks are coming from that are going back up when it comes to COVID. There are new variants. We may not have a complete handle on this yet. Uh, so I personally think Title 42 should stay in place, not because I'm anti-immigration, not because I'm opposed to granting asylum. I'm actually, a pretty pro-immigration republican uh i just think it's too soon and but from a political standpoint on biden's behalf it's just gotten dumb
0: yeah i have to i have to agree with you i, I you make a really good point which is i sort of started off by by saying you can't really completely divorce the policy end of this and the substance from from the politics because of course we should have a sane immigration policy we should have a balanced immigration policy that, you know is also compassionate and one of the biggest problems of the Trump administration's approach was that they completely got rid of amnesty for people amnesty is a bad term to, to use in, in, in the context of immigration. People who are seeking asylum, right people who are fleeing violence and and persecution in their home countries, he basically ended, Their ability, which is a violation of international law, to seek refuge in the United States. That was wrong. That was inhumane. And it sets us up for a whole bunch of painful comparisons right now, as President Biden just announced that we're going to allow in 100,000 Ukrainian refugees over the next year. Well, that's the right thing to do. Of course, we should do that. Now, that's only a small portion of the 3.6 million who have been displaced across international borders in the last month. But It's what the U.S. can do, and it's what we should do. And of course, there are people fleeing war, violence, persecution in their home countries, and they should have an opportunity to find haven in the United States. And it shouldn't be a factor that they come from places where they look a little bit different than you know i i hate to say it the very european looking folks who are coming from ukraine it sets up a very unfortunate but very real comparison all of that said and of course i agree we should have a sane immigration policy i agree with you that I, I, the worry here politically is that we're going to see an immigration surge over the summer the early indications in the numbers already point in that direction this is coming and now President Biden will give a very easy, short, unnuanced explanation to Republicans to say he did X and this is the result. And it's going to be very, very hard to get around. Let's talk about just one more issue that came up. It was kind of an interesting little wrinkle uh, heading into the weekend. It was that Amazon workers in Staten Island of all places, Staten Island, New York is actually a fairly conservative bastion in America. Amazon Amazon workers in Staten Island formed the company's first union in what's being characterized as a stunning upset because a similar union drive had failed earlier this year. Paul Hodes, I mean, obviously, during your time in office, you had some very strong relationships with labor unions. You yourself are in a labor union. What do you make of this development? Is it as significant as it seems?
2: Well, Amazon is an Amazon, and they did everything they possibly could to stop and disrupt the union efforts. Um, they organized a special task force. They called in intelligence and security experts. They slimed and smeared those who were trying to uh, organize the unions. I mean, they, 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 did a, they put on a, a true uh, full court evil corporate press to try to stop it. Um, I think it's a, it, it should be a stunning blow for Amazon. Hopefully it will inspire uh, others in that um, company to uh, try to unionize. Um, I'm, I'm always so thrilled to see Amazon's uh, television ads touting their minimum wage and their other great benefits that they pay for people, but they are notoriously awful. Um, And uh, it's high time that they were unionized. And uh, if we're lucky, it represents a return in this country to uh, active, appropriate uh, trade unions.
1: Alicia? I personally don't have a strong opinion on it one way or another. I mean, we've all heard the stories of what happens when you're working for Amazon and and the payments and the drivers and it sounds unfair. I mean, I believe in the free market. I believe if people want to work somewhere, they can work somewhere they don't want it, they don't have to, but I also believe you have the right to unionize if that's what you so choose to do. And they voted to do so. So, you know, it's funny that it's Amazon and it's Bezos because I happen to find Bezos to be a really big hypocrite. (laughs) And so that his own company had to unionize for the right of workers. And this man's out there all the time talking about doing what's good, doing what's right. And they had to come forward and forcibly unionize to protect themselves and their wages. I think there's an interesting irony there.
0: I'm with you that I think that workers should be able to unionize in free and fair elections. I'm actually a big believer in free and fair elections in general. That's kind of what America was founded on. So I'm against any means that, that powerful entities, whether they're governments or powerful corporations, can use to try to take away people's rights to organize or to vote. And so when I see them in states, including uh, states, particularly in the South, that take these kinds of approaches to particularly keep certain folks, certain Americans from voting, Mm -hmm. I'm against that. And when I see companies like Amazon taking coercive steps to keep people from voting and unionizing and organizing themselves, I'm against that. I do take your point, Alicia, that... To some degree, I wonder if this is less significant than it would have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago, because the role of unions is changing in America. Obviously, labor is down to less than 10% of the U.S. workforce. It, it used to be Um, up well above a third. And I've actually done a show on this in the Great Ideas program. People can check that out in the Great Ideas podcast with an expert on labor who talked about the evolving role of labor unions and whether there's a future and whether there's a benefit. The evidence is pretty clear that joining a labor union in general is a good deal for workers in most circumstances. It's generally better for wages and benefits and workplace rights and preventing the kinds of abuses that we have heard deep reporting on from all kinds of places, and most especially from Amazon uh, workplaces warehouses. So I'm in favor of it. I I just wonder if, as you say, the impact is a little bit less because unions are going to have to rethink their role going into the future. There was, I used to work for a member of Congress from Maine, Mike Michaud, who for 27 years worked at a a paper mill, uh, you know, a a major uh, union worker himself. And he's offered a lot of thoughts about a future role for unions in America that might be a little different than what we're used to. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the labor movement does with this new piece of progress. And with that, we're going to have to leave it here. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We'll see you next week.